Uh, before we uh, read the scripture today, I want to give you a little context and a little background for the scene that we encounter here in Acts 26. Uh, the scene is Paul in chains. He is in prison under Festus, who is the new Roman governor of the area. Uh, Paul has uh, been preaching the gospel. He has come into conflict with uh, the local Jewish authorities. It's causing a stir, and so Rome uh, puts him under arrest under Festus. And uh, Festus is examining Paul, and he has uh, determined that Paul has done nothing wrong under, under Roman law, and so Part of him wants to just let Paul go, but he also knows that he has a political situation that he needs to deal with. He needs to make the, the locals happy, and so he considers uh, releasing Paul, and he tries to convince Paul to go and be put on trial in Jerusalem and just be released. Paul says no. He's a Roman citizen, and he appeals to the emperor. The, a Roman citizen has a right to have his case heard by the emperor uh, and so he requests to go to Rome, and now Festus's hands are tied. He can't release him, uh, he can't give him over to the Jewish authorities, and uh, he has to send him to Rome. And Paul wants to do this. This is strategy on his part, because he wants his message vindicated, and he wants his message proclaimed in the very heights of power. So while they're waiting for Paul to be shipped off, Agrippa, who is uh, the son of, of Herod Agrippa, the grandson of, of Herod the Great, uh, who is a Jewish-descended king over the area that the Romans are using to, to rule, rule the area, and he still answers to Rome, uh, comes and visits Festus. And Festus tells him about this interesting case with this former Pharisee who is now proclaiming Jesus. And Agrippa says, well, I'd, I'd like to hear this guy. And so they bring out Paul and allow Paul to testify on his own behalf. And Paul tells them about how zealous he was as a Pharisee, how he would oppress Christians, how he even chased them into foreign lands, how on the road uh, to Damascus one day, he has this encounter with the risen Christ. And Jesus appears to Paul and speaks to him in his Hebrew name, and he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Paul's his, Paul's his Greek name, uh, Saul is his Hebrew name. And he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then he tells Saul slash Paul that he has a new mission for him, that his mission will be to carry the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles, to those who aren't Jewish. And indeed, to carry the good news of Jesus into the world. So Paul sets about doing that. And inevitably, as he does that, he gets in trouble. He gets in trouble. And that's what he is there uh, for, before Festus and before Agrippa. And so we meet them here in verse 24. While he was making this defense... Festus exclaimed, Are you out of your mind, Paul? Too much learning is driving you insane. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking the sober truth. Indeed, the king knows, that's Agrippa, indeed the king knows about these things, 
and I and to him I speak freely, for I am certain that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, Are you so quickly persuading me to become a Christian? Paul replied, Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that not only you, but also all who are listening to me today might become such as I am, except for these chains. If you go with the King James translation, uh, it's got a nice uh, little turn of phrase, even if it's not the most loyal to the Greek. Uh, Agrippa says to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. And Paul's response to Agrippa is that he wishes that everyone would be not almost a Christian, but altogether a Christian. That's what's before us today. Are we to be almost Christians, or all we, are we to be altogether Christians? This is what inspired John Wesley to preach a sermon called The Almost Christian, the same as our title today before uh, the church at St. Mary's. Uh, in Oxford, a big university church where uh, scholars of all sorts would go. And Wesley preaches the message there one day on this text. And here we have two extremes before us. We have, uh, really more than that, we have the extreme example of, of Festus, who is what Wesley might call an honest heathen. He's trying to do justice as best he can according to the rules of Rome and trying to balance all that he has to balance to fulfill his duty, to fulfill his responsibility that he has been appointed into. And yes, he's playing politics to a degree, but really he's just trying to keep things on the straight and narrow. And then we have Paul, the absolutely committed Christian, who uh, is there in chains, who is proclaiming the good news wherever he goes, who can't be silenced, who can't be shut up, whose heart is overflowing with love for God and love for other people. That's why he's bringing the good news to not only the Gentiles all over uh, the area and not only even to his fellow Jews, but there to those in power with Festus and Agrippa. And then we have Agrippa there on the sidelines, the one who should know who should know the prophets, Paul says, who has a Jewish background, who should be receptive to this message but isn't, isn't getting it. And so we have to ask, as we look at Festus and Agrippa and Paul before us, will we be almost Christians? Will we be altogether Christians? Wesley says that to be an almost Christian you can look at it in, in, sort of, uh, in three different stages or three different levels. The first level for the almost Christian is honest heathenism, he says. The kind of morality that everyone has access to, that everyone should recognize, that you might derive philosophically or you might derive from any number of world religions. And this is Festus in, in some ways. And the honest heathen will be concerned for justice, Wesley says. He'll know not to rob people. He'll know not to oppress people. He'll know that you must give each person what's due to them. Of course, not everyone does that, but the honest person, whether Christian or not, would do those things. And the honest heathen, Wesley says, would also be concerned for truth. 
would uh, want to understand what reality is and match up his life to reality, and who also would tell the truth to other people and about other people, who wouldn't slander others, who would speak the truth as he saw it to them. It would be uh, not a liar. It would be someone who was honest about who they were and about the world and in all of their dealings. All very good things. And an honest heathen as well, Wesley says, might even have love for others. He would give charitably. He would help out those who were in need, someone who was hungry or poor or sick or uh, in need of clothing, that the honest heathen would help that person out. And surely we all know someone like this, right? A person who you just say, well, he's a good person or she's a good person, even though that person isn't specifically a Christian. Wesley would say that in some ways that person is on the way to being, or maybe even an almost Christian. They want to do the right thing. And of course that's good. Who doesn't celebrate doing the right thing? Christians and non-Christians alike can be capable of that in a way that Wesley would describe as almost Christianity. But Wesley says that the almost Christian can go even beyond honest heathenism. The, honest, or, 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 or the almost Christian may even have what he calls the form of godliness. What's the form of godliness? Well, it looks like this. The form of godliness, Wesley says, is doing nothing that is contrary to what the gospel forbids. So the honest, uh, or excuse me, the, the, the one who has the form of godliness, that kind of almost Christian, uh, isn't going to want to break the Ten Commandments. They're going to not take the Lord's name in vain. They're going to show up to church. They're going to... Um, uh, they're going to not steal. They're going to tell the truth. They're going to honor their father and their mother. Maybe they even listened really well to uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, and they're going to know that they, uh, when they are struck, should turn the other cheek. They may go the second mile when they're forced. They uh, will be someone who is concerned for others in that way and is doing the right thing. The person who has good Christian morals. And you probably know somebody like that, right? person who just does the right thing and who tries to follow the moral teachings of Scripture as best as they possibly can. That is to be um, an almost Christian with the form of godliness, part of it. This kind of person may also um, abide in the means of grace. If you remember, think back to January and February when we did a sermon series on, on the means of grace. These are the things that God has given us to draw us close to him. And the person who has the form of godliness may practice these things. That person may pray all the time. Maybe they pray five times a day. They can have a dedicated prayer life. And that person may uh, seek the scriptures. They may study God's word uh, and memorize it and know it and just get it down, down in their bones. And that person, uh, no doubt, goes to worship regularly. And they, they're there every time the doors are open, so it seems. And pays attention in worship, isn't sloughing off in the back or anything like that, or bouncing their checkbook or whatever, you know, whatever people do. Uh, and they, they're dedicated to what's going on. And they are serious about worship. They take communion seriously too, Wesley says. And they know that God has called them to, uh, to use the means of grace to go to the Lord's table. And so they seek to do that on a regular basis. And may perhaps even have a dedicated life of prayer with their families who, I mean, in our culture, even from families that aren't very Christian, when we're kids, don't we all learn, 
you know, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. And we all learn that, even in families that aren't the most religious, right? Um, and so the almost Christian with the form of godliness, godliness may take great care to teach his family to pray in that way or to teach her family to pray in that way. All good things, all good things. But still only, Wesley says, almost Christianity, not altogether Christianity. Further, Wesley says, this kind of person who would have at the very least heathen honesty and the form of godliness would be sincere. This, we're not talking about the kind of person who is just trying to you know, not get caught or trying to look like they're a good person, but in the inside, they're not. They're, this isn't a hypocrite we're dealing with. We're not dealing with somebody who's just trying to avoid punishment or avoid shame. This is someone who's sincere, who's sincere about his or her faith. But heathen honesty and the form of godliness and even sincerity in pursuing those things aren't altogether Christianity. They're almost Christianity, Wesley would say. And almost Christianity... Uh, even though we are several hundred years removed from Wesley's sermon and, and much farther removed from Paul and Festus, uh, is still very common with us today. I mean, that's what we all want, right? To be nice and to do good, and, uh, and we want God to, to help us to feel good, and we want to believe in God. And sometimes the church has done a disservice to the world by saying that that's what Christianity amounts to. It's a great book I can recommend to you called Almost Christian. Um, the subtitle is what, faith, what the Faith of Our Teenagers is Telling the American Church. It's a great book by a Methodist youth ministry scholar at Princeton named Kenda Creasy-Dean. I very much uh, recommend this book. You can borrow my copy if you would like to, uh, or you can find it pretty, pretty cheap on the internet as well. One of the things that uh, Professor Dean identifies in this book is that what passes for Christianity among many of our teenagers and many of our adults is what, uh, it's a term that she's borrowing, but what she, she calls it is moralistic therapeutic deism. All right, what's that? Well, deism, that's believing in God, right? We want our kids to believe in God. And uh, therapeutic is we want them to feel good. We want them to know that God can help them you know, uh, feel good about themselves and have good self-esteem and that God can help them through their problems and that God has a good plan for their life and maybe God will help them figure out what college to go to or what job to take, that kind of thing. And, uh, and it's moralistic that we teach our kids to be nice. And sometimes that becomes the content of Christianity, to be nice to other people and to be good to other people. Now, all those things are good things, right? We want to believe in God, of course. We should want people to know that God is there for them and that God can comfort them and heal them. Of course, that's a good thing. And of course, we want people to behave in a moral way. That's a good thing as well. But none of that is the content of what it is to be Christian. That is still almost Christianity. But it's yet what passes for Christianity in our world so often. And you probably know somebody that that might meet that description. And maybe all of us from time to time may meet that description. We say, well, I'm a good person. I do the right thing. I believe in God. I'm a Christian, right? But there's more to it. Wesley says, you know, he tried that for a long time. He uh, tried to reform his character. He prayed regularly. He sought God. Um, he, he searched the scriptures and tried to be a good person, thinking that that would be what made him a Christian. 
but it didn't quite get him there. It didn't quite get him there. He was almost a Christian. And I'll tell you that for me, as I think about my own life and I think about my personality, I was that kid in school who, uh, even though even though Karen said that I would have been the class clown in kindergarten, uh, that's uh, not quite true. Uh, I was the good kid, right? I got a yellow card in kindergarten and I was devastated. Uh, you know, I had like one detention ever. You know, I tried to make good grades and that sort of thing. Um, and I was concerned with success and achievement and doing the right thing and being a good kid, you know. Um, being a good kid doesn't make you a Christian. Being a good kid in the uh, adult sense doesn't make you a good Christian either. Um, a lot of times we are more concerned with somebody being a good citizen and being uh, a good neighbor and being respectable and thinking that that is what makes them a Christian. And maybe you're thinking to yourself at this point, well, what more do you want, you know? Uh, what more, what more can, I, can I do here? Um, I'm a, you know, read the Bible and pray and go to church and do the right thing. I mean, isn't that it? What Wesley tells us and what I think the scripture is telling us today is that we are called to more. We're called to more. We're called to be not almost, but altogether Christians. What is an altogether Christian? An altogether Christian is someone who, first of all, Wesley says, has the love of God, who knows that God has loved them and they love God in return. Their hearts are filled up. Their souls overflow with the love of God, and they rejoice in the goodness of God. And that's what Paul is doing here. He so rejoices in the goodness of God that before Agrippa and before Festus, he can even joke with them. He says, I wish that everybody was like I am right now except for these chains. And he's, being he's being funny because his, God, his heart is filled with joy because of how much he loves God. Wesley says that the altogether Christian is also filled with love for neighbor. He knows that Christ has loved him. She knows that Christ has loved her, and so she loves others with the love of Christ. And I think this is Paul's motivation. He wants to see Festus and Agrippa, even these two enemies who have him in chains before them, he wants to see them Christians just like them, or just like he is. He doesn't see them as enemies. He sees them as those who God has called to repentance and those who God has called to to be Christians, to be his own people. How is that possible? And here's the third element, faith. And that's where we really get to it. Notice that all the things I described for the almost Christian, they're all things that we do, all behaviors that we take. And of course those things are good and important, but they aren't what makes you a Christian. It's faith. It's faith in Christ and trust in Christ that makes you a Christian. And those good things that we do come on the other side of that. We don't earn our place with God. We receive our place with God and then we respond to it by loving God and loving our neighbors. And this kind of faith isn't just intellectual assent. It's not just saying, well, I believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus and I believe that Jesus is uh, the fully God and fully human. I believe that he died and rose again. And I believe that uh, in the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and I believe in the, you know, and I believe everything in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and the Articles of Religion and all this stuff is more than intellectual assent. 
Scripture says, and Wesley says, that even the demons know all those things. We're talking about a different kind of faith. The kind of faith that is putting your trust in someone. Putting your confidence in them. And when we say to put our, trust, put our faith in Christ, we don't mean simply that we believe the right things about him, though that is important. What we mean is that we put our confidence in him. So we can live for him and not for the things that we design for ourselves. It's that which Paul has here. It's because he's trusted his life to Christ that he doesn't care if he goes to Rome in chains. Because he's given his life to Christ. He knows that he's put his whole trust in him. If I say I have faith in you, it means I have confidence in you. I trust, you know, I have committed to you. I know that you're committed to me. I know that you'll do what you say. And to be an altogether Christian is to know that Christ will give us what he has said that he will give us. That he'll call us his own. That he'll save us. That he will bring us into his kingdom when he comes again. So for us today, for us today, the question we must ask ourselves is this. Are we almost Christians or are we altogether Christians? Do we think that we can do all the right things and that makes us a child of God? Or do we know that it is God who has done all things for us that, make, uh, that makes us his? And I don't, think, don't see this as a static thing, as an either or. Because I think that the more we grow as Christians, the more we realize those areas in our lives where we're still almost Christians, where we haven't given ourselves fully to God, we haven't fully put our trust in Christ and so this isn't to say that until you get everything together, right, then, then you'll be accepted. That would be the opposite of what, what Wesley preached and what this message is teaching us. Rather, it's to say that our ears and our hearts and our eyes need to be open to the call. Because to put our trust in Christ isn't just something that we do once. It's something that we do day by day. We give ourselves to Jesus, knowing that it's him who will save us and not we who will save ourselves. So listen to your heart today. Listen to the Spirit today. And ask, are you abiding in this kind of love? The kind of love that we read about when we did the affirmation of faith from Ephesians 3. We talked about the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of Christ's love and knowing that love which surpasses knowledge so then that we can be filled with the fullness of God. So then that we can be all together who Christ has called us to be. Let's pray.